hey internet it's saturday it's morning it's time to chill and i wish i could i feel discomfited discomfited uh, i'm in a very beautiful location you can see but i don't have my microphone and my headphones that makes me feel very uncomfortable in front of a camera it's kind of weird it's almost like i'm not ready i'm hoping let me double check my sound that i'm even using the right headphones it looks like i am and it seems to me that we got a number of you able to tune in the stream will be not as high a quality per chance today i you know i've been i got a message from ecam saying it lowered my stream quality i'm on vacation i'm at a location where i'm using some wi-fi that's not my primary you know bandwidth so things may or may not be up and down this morning but i'm glad you're here with me and i'm looking forward to spending a couple hours with you as you have time on this fourth of july and the actual ides of july 2020 all sorts of crazy to talk about, of course, in that crazy what is going on in our world realm. But I got questions from you as well. I really want to dig into. I want to make sure that we keep the center of what we do here at Mad Christianity, Christianity. Yeah, so that when we look out at our world and have eyes of understanding and wisdom, it is because we see first and most clearly the death of our world in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who, above all, stands glorious and triumphant while nations rise and fall and come and go. Those are the beginnings of birth pains. So I'm hoping again, you can hear me. I think you can. I just don't know if I trust these headphones as much as the ones where I know I can hear myself. Um, I see that again, we got comments going on in the sidebar, which is great. Say hello, say where you're from. And uh, while you're doing that, if you want to hit that like button, there's about a quarter of you that have liked this show you've tuned in to watch. And the more of you that like it, the better off it is for the show to show up in the feeds and lives of other people. So I don't know. And I don't even know, we spent a lot of time trying to get like the setup to sit and I feel I'm back like this. And like, there's no way they can hear me, which is so like unrealistic, right? Because obviously the microphones are in my, in my head right here, but uh, it's so different than what I'm used to doing. We'll see. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Too many locations though. This is the, look at my child. Do you want to sit out here while I do a show? <laughs> we are on vacation. Would you like to sit out here while I do a show? Yeah, okay. So she's going to sit over there. Um, too many locations in, in a couple of weeks has made me a bit frazzled with what the show even is. So I hope the there's some consistency for you. But, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago? Yeah, two shows ago. Two, two entire previous shows ago, I was in one location. Then we completed the move, got to another location, right? And now I think that's how it all worked out. Now here we are on vacation. We should be back in our primary location next week. And then after maybe I get one or two or three shows in a row at the same location, I'll feel prepared <laughs> uh, to entertain you on Saturday morning. But how can you not be entertained by our world for pity's sakes? I don't even know what to say. It seems quiet. I was all ready for like crazy news to talk about this morning as in like the last 24 hour news cycle, because I've kind of been spending, you know, toilet time more or less finding out what Twitter thinks, at least my feed on Twitter thinks is happening in the world. And it, it, it just gets weirder and weirder. It's, it's like I live inside of some dystopic video game, right? Like this ultimate 3D virtual reality video game that, you know, Matrix style been dropped into in which, you know, your, your childhood storytelling, video game playing, uh, mythology of cartoon and manga watching turns into the reality you're actually living in, in which Donald Trump is having like sky by flyovers of Mount Rushmore because people are threatened to tear it down. <laughs> it, it just doesn't process, right? Johnny Five is alive, but Johnny Five doesn't even know what to make of any of this. And if you don't got that Easter egg, I'm sorry you didn't live in the 80s. Um, so what do you make of it all? It seems quiet today. It, it seems like since last weekend, things are not as intense, but that's what's got me a little worried. Is it the calm before the storm? And I'll just, you know, I'll give you the hat tip again, a full moon. Um, I don't believe in anything 
regarding to the spirituality of the moon, not even a little tiny bit, but I believe gravity and forces of nature can mess with the equilibrium in our heads. And there's a history of seeing kind of weird things happen on full moons. Uh, and the fact that it's all just coming together for this 4th of July, all I got to say on that one is uh, I'm praying a lot these days. I'm praying a lot about this day, today, the day in which I want to say, God bless America, the day in which I want to say, regardless of what oppression was put upon my ancestors or my family within groups and tribes of my ancestors or on myself, or which I may have inadvertently done to others in my lifetime, that all of this is completely secondary and beneath the ultimate grace of God that we are all given in Jesus Christ purchased and forgiven for every single reality we experience in this age, that he is totally sufficient to justify everything. There is no excuse. No, there is. There's an excuse. His name is Jesus Christ. He is always an excuse, a justification of us in total. And to live with, with that perspective now and able to look at this world and say, I can say that in this country. I can believe this man has risen from the dead and speak that in this country and to say that in the history of oppression, that is not a universal reality for nations in the world. And so regardless of whatever else I as a white male may have inherited from white males of completely different ethnic stock than me that did hundreds of years ago that I have received no direct benefit from, definitely. If you want to talk white privilege, okay, fine. But I'll tell you, within the chain, it's not as like we just all had it glorious. We were living on dirt, farming. It's what we did, right? Until just recently when America, in a matter of 100 years of hard work by three generations, popped us up into a middle class and gave me the ability to get an education and my father as well, which had not been given in generations of at least the farm stock before. I do have, by the way, I'll admit it, a history of oppression in my family too. If you go back far enough, you can find that a Fisk, it's actually the name Fisk in South Dakota was a judge and he was not well loved for his, well, use of tyrannical power. I'm, I'm pretty sure his prejudice against individuals he did not like personally played a lot of roles in it. I'm not sure he had the opportunity for racism up there, but I'm sure if he did have the opportunity, he would have been one. But I also know, I also know that that doesn't mean I'm him. <laughs> That's the silliest thing in the world. I, I did see a tweet this morning that, that said, uh, uh, it said it was, it was a, a woman who was of a non-white ethnicity. She, and she appeared to be presenting the gender woman, non-white ethnicity, standing in front of a sign she'd written with her own hand, which said, all whites are racist. And then it had, it had her PayPal email address underneath it, which is the best part. Um, and, 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 and like, so what do you make of that here now as a white man in this world, uh, growing up loving Martin Luther King's vision of our country, this country that this flag stood for, stands for, um, what to do with that? How do I respond to that? It hurts, I'll tell you that. That I have spent time in my life working amongst people who look like me to increase understanding for those who don't look like me. Because I think that's what Jesus wants. <laughs> Crazy me. Uh, and, um, and that now here I, I sit being accused for strictly racist reasons. As a ploy to make money, which is the, the scariest, weirdest, most obvious and expected part of all of it, I think, in a lot of ways, right? Like if we know anything about original sin. So th that hit me this week. I mean, I, that was one's like, ooh, interesting, right? I'm inspired, though, but I never know how much of it's my algorithm. I, I'm inspired as I see individual African-American people 
uh, love this flag. Even as I watched it burn yesterday, right? I watched it wave other places. I was inspired to drive down the, the street in my hometown now, my new hometown, and see that flags have been placed all the way along it. Uh, I was inspired in the town I'm visiting now to see someone had put a crane up over there with this huge flag. Why? Why? Because of the cotton trade, because of the tobacco trade, right? Uh, uh, because of the uh, what the splitting up of the finances of the British East India Company over the re- in the Revolutionary War. Did these things happen historically? If you want to revisionize history, so that that's the only thing that mattered was the bad stuff. You can you can do that with anybody, but instead to see that these flags represent for us in this country the ability to not have people tell us what to think. We've spent 50 years paying them to tell us what to think on the TV, and some of us are getting wise, but there's a generation that I think just can't see it. Oh, well, it is what it is. But like America is founded on the ability to make up your own mind, and whether or not you want to like let the tube tell you what to think or not, what you see now is a political agenda using the tube to try to push an actual law-based agenda in the world outside. So if you don't watch the tube, it doesn't matter. The laws are going to say, you got to think this way. You got to speak this way. You got to act this way. You are not allowed to disagree with El Presidente. Did you see that Vladimir Putin won re-election? I feel someone fact check me on this one because I can't believe this is true. Okay. But it looked like a verifiable source. I didn't check every link because I'm not a reporter. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a guy. Right. So, so Vladimir Putin won re-election until 2035, like two days ago, 2030. They made him king. Do you get it? Like they didn't make him king. There's no crown, but they elected him until 2035 by like some massive percentage of votes. You know why? You are not allowed to disagree in public on, on any public channel or medium with Vladimir Putin. This is, this is uh, what, what was that? Once Upon a Time in Russia is the most stunning story. You should go and check it out on Audible. I can't get you uh, special cheap rates on Audible, but they'll give you, I think, a free book if you sign up. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Russia, go listen to it. It's about Putin, Putin coming to power and the great media mogul who tried to stop him. The guy was a bit nuts himself. Um, fascinating story. Think about that. Think about being there. Now, I don't know what Putin's views on Lutheranism are. Uh, I know what historic communist views on Christianity are in Russia. Russia is still a communist country, in theory. Um, I don't know how that's going to impact Christianity over there. But I'd rather be here than there with regard to how the laws are for me being able to say Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And I will submit to him before I'll submit to the state. That the state is not more important than him, nor more important than, say, my role given by Christ over my family as a father to teach them, which the state has been pushing for years to remove that from us, right? And some of us are more aware of that than others. Some of us just say, I wonder what happened to our kids. Why did they all turn out that way, <laughs> right? And, and some of us say, maybe there's a reason. Um, you know, that's a whole different thing to talk about, I suppose. But But still, I think that no matter whether you understood what I just said and agree on my views on education or not, that we could or should or can or do are able to unify in this country around the idea that this flag does not represent tyranny, but the desire to remove it from us as a group, as a nation, as a people. And that's what our Bill of Rights is about. That's what our Declaration of Independence is about. That's why those things are so important. If you're actually an American, right? And if you're not, okay, cool, right? Or if you like the idea of freedom of speech, right? Um, that, that kind of thing matters. So to cling to this, I think is, I don't think it's wrong as a, as a pastor to say this, right? That this is your duty as a Christian. 
If you're a Christian, it is your duty to submit to Caesar. Well, who's Caesar? Thank God Caesar is. We believe that all men are created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights <laughs> that then is listed in that first 10 Bill of Rights, right? That's Caesar. And we're supposed to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. What a joy to be an American and a Lutheran and a Christian. What, what an amazing free conscience we have, uh, as opposed to as opposed to being somewhere where it really was like, oh, the king said we're illegal. I guess we all go to jail now. Let's line up, right? I mean, and that, that could morally be made an argument by a pastor. Uh, I'm not sure I would make that argument myself, but but it could be, right? You don't have to deal with that right now. Uh, or again, you know, the question of the parable of the sower does come into play. How would we as a group deal with such kinds of persecution? Do we want persecution? I've heard people say this, you know, because, because it's been said before that the uh, the, the church is watered by the blood of the martyrs. The idea that persecution does grow the church. I've heard that said as if somehow we should be praying for persecution, but I, I don't think that's quite how it works. You don't ever want the cross or it's not really the cross. And persecution doesn't have to be that they just try to silence you by bringing laws against you, although that may still be coming. And who knows, right? Um, who knows? But persecution means, at least in, in the parable of the sower, when we're talking about the sun which scorches those who have no root, right? It's not just about how they're having somebody put a sword to their throat. It's about how their faith is not deeply connected enough to the actual words of the Holy God to live through the just punishment for their sin, which is the scorching wrath of that God. That's the ultimate thing there, right? And so when the cross of what just is our existence while we wait for his return playing itself out in a lot of ways, though providentially cared for so that the vast majority may be saved or whatever number the elect actually is may be saved. While all that's going on, right? The cross is what is going to press us both into greater joy and understanding and also, well, into a awareness of how much we cannot beat it ourselves. We don't get to pick that. And it's not always a soldier with a sword. It could also just be a very entertaining culture with a story that sounds a lot better. Now, maybe someday it turns into both. And in the book of Revelation, although this is a little bit of a twist here, but it, it in the book of Revelation, there are two beasts that are seen at a certain time. And both of these beasts represent two different forms Swipe, I'm swiping that a fly. Two different forms of government that we should expect to exist in the world until Jesus returns as things abused by the devil in the hands of evil men to try to hurt all things. Because that's what the devil does. He's filled with malice and he wants to destroy, but especially he wants to destroy those of Christ, those of the church. So these two beasts, again, one out of the land, one out of the sea, are figuratively given other symbolic imagery that connects or ties them to Rome, the military civil might of the age, and to Jerusalem, the, the spiritual or pharisaic, sadduceic leadership of the age, both powers of which were set against Christianity in the first century. And what is that it is true historically that the people who received John's letter would have been able to say, ah, I get it. So what we see is that the, the synagogue is in fact driving this out and God is saying that is what's going to happen and it's over and you know, we have to separate from the synagogue and know it's against us. And also that Rome will never really be uh, for us either, right? That was what narrowly was being given to them by John in the letter through this, again, apocalyptic code language that he used. 
which is all symbolism. <laughs> all these people who want to say that, you know, the revelation is literal, but the Bible has a code. It's like, <laughs> what? Uh, anyway, a different topic. Um, these two, these two beasts then we also can see because revelation is both a specific moment in time when John speaks to his church, uh, as he's the elder or the bishop of that area in exile and also to all time at once, not a specific time in the future, but that this is a picture of the way it always is behind the fourth dimension of what's going on in heaven and, and the war between the angels and the demons. And so in that, there is always these two powers that are in fact given by God, uh, the power of the civil reality that, that there is a king that he bears a sword to protect and that this is who Christ is ultimately, right? But, but that in this age, that office is given to others and or taken by others, uh, that that really does exist in the world as a gift of God, but it also is going to be abused because men are evil and men turn good things into evil things for themselves. And that the church is supposed to be forewarned that there will be times when it will be against you. It will try to take Christ from you. And then similarly, there will be false churches, right? False spiritualities, not just false religions, but false Christianities, false Christs who come and say that they are he, but they are not he. Uh, uh, and that that also will always be a threat against the church. No church congregation, group of people, family can say, well, we're Christians just cause, and it's always gonna be because, well, if you fail to watch and pray, Honestly, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Whose story are you listening to? There's the question there a little bit. But then again to know. So we should always expect a threat from fake churches, churches that say we're Jesus following churches, but they're lying about something. Usually pretty obviously if you read the Bible. And then you also have those who are uh, who are a threat to Christianity, which are tyrannical earthly powers that try to overstep their ability to say don't kill, you know, don't commit adultery, don't don't cheat and steal. Uh, and instead begin to say, believe in us, follow us, do this, we create truth. Yeah. And that is what we see, right? Although who's really doing that right now? Is it really like the American government that is being abused in power at the moment? I mean, yes, yes, it is. I would say that our generally our senators, our congressmen, our um, executive branch, historically, the uh, the various offices, FBI and whatnot, you know, all those kinds of offices uh, that exist – my guess is right now they're not all being used strictly for the good of the American people, right? And certainly the Supreme Court, for pity's sakes, Roberts, oh my goodness. That's like old news now, right? Did you hear? Oh my goodness. We lost a major pro-life case this week because <laughs> the conservative justice that Bush put on the Supreme Court decided to waffle by preferring precedent over his own opinion, which is re – I don't even know what to say. I, I've, that is so disturbing to remember that this has happened. That was like Monday, right? Tuesday. It's so disturbing to remember this has happened. I've forgotten what I was even talking about. Uh, I was talking about uh, the, uh, the threat, right? So that so all of these powers, oh, yes. What's the real power? What's the real civil power that's, that's trying to attack us right now? Is it really the government, though? As much as I think that, you know, <laughs> Roberts made a very, very bad decision that I say Pelosi is probably kind of running a, a a very significantly um, self-financing uh, life of politics. Um, and name your favorite senator you hate or, or uh, uh, congressman you hate on the other side. That may be just as bad, right? Whatever that is, that swamp to me is not nearly so deadly as the swamp on the West Coast <laughs> that's controlling the media, that's controlling wh what we think and say and do. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There's East Coast media too. New York is up there as well, right? But the Hollywood New York, 
reality versus the DC reality, they're completely different things. And so I'm going to just say Hollywood is the idea that I'm talking about, as opposed to obviously you have stuff going on in in New York. You got stuff going on in Georgia. It's all over, but you know what I'm talking about. The, The media power, the conglomeration of white noise noise that has been funneled to say one message more than another message, uh, very loudly, largely again, against the flag, um, sometimes against Christianity, but, but really mostly against the flag at this point, against the country itself. Um, that's an interesting thing to watch happen. And then is that an abuse of power? So one of the, one of the like copyright, um, slash, uh, information knowledge questions, uh, that I have. And, and, um, I'm going to lose the question. Sorry about that. Um, uh, I can't remember that. uh, I want to. The question I have has to do with how we balance an information age in which people are making money by telling us what truth is, but also they're being paid by others to do that, right? And so we're not the ones paying them directly to do that. We like to think that we shop with our dollars and we do a little bit, but by and large, you're buying something because you've heard about it, not by word of mouth, but because it's come to you via a media stream. That means that uh, money was put into it to get you to buy it. Now, when that translates beyond apples and oranges to ideas, to identities and identity politics, and these things merge together, that is a very powerful uh, and scary reality. And, and how to how to tread in that reality? Uh, aside from just you know, as a person, I'm living here with my family, and we got to keep putting food on the table and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, do you really want to think about the diet of what you think about, the nutrition of what you eat in your mind? Because we haven't for for a good long time, as as at least a, the the people that I've grown up in and amongst, which I, I guess I identify as LCMS in that regard. We haven't spent enough enough time questioning the inputs. I think they did before they left German and went to English, which that's a fascinating story in its own right, and we'll leave that for another time. But uh, after we went to English, it was sort of like a, well, good riddance to the blockade of ideas, good riddance to having a barrier between us and American ideas. And not just American ideas, it was world ideas, because uh, there was a lot of, of desire to get, you know, kind of the Enlightenment, hoity-toity uh Post pre and post World War One view of uh, kind of elitist theology was was a, a big draw. I think that's that's a different topic also. Um, but the blockade was let down, and it was like there was this attempt to move us as a as a church body from isolationism to globalism in a sense. But it, it wasn't quite that. I think that culturally there was a lot of resistance. It's not like the 60s and the 70s in Missouri. As much as we were fighting over the Bible, I don't think it was the summer of love quite the same way. Um, but we we stopped having barriers to what we believe. And we had people screaming about it all along, you know, oh, look, we're, we're being liberal, right? Or, oh, look, we're progressing in bad directions. But I mean, the end result of this is that the floodgates are open and all of us are out here just reading, seeing and therefore believing whatever we want. Each man's doing as he sees fit, pastors included. Whereas once upon a time, the answer to this was, well, we'll have Concordia Publishing House and we'll only read stuff that they print, <laughs> right? That's probably not the answer either. It didn't work. Uh, and I got nothing in CPH. I, all my books are published through CPH. Uh, so thank God for that, right? But how do we begin to at least teach an ethic or, or hope for an ethic where we are going to limit the information that we eat, 
in recognition that there's a lot of liars out there just shouting. And that the louder they shout, the longer they shout, human nature gives in. And you can know that. It's called uh, uh, confirmation bias. Go look it up. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. So I'm, I'm praying today because I love this country. I didn't, I didn't plan to talk about any of that. That's all just what I'm thinking about. I love this country because I love my God and my God put me in this country. He saved me in this country from myself through people who are citizens of this country who preached about him to me. And so I gave my life to doing that. I submitted myself to ordination for that reason. And I never thought, I never thought I'd see the day where I'd have to like then defend my country. <laughs> what? I, I never thought I'd see the day. And I hope I don't see the day that I have to defend it with, with firearm. I, I don't think there should be a reason for that. I think the, the course of the ideas of liberty themselves are contagious. I think that's why I'm so excited to see African-American patriots speaking about it publicly. They should be. They're great at it. Frederick Douglass, Douglass has, a, has a forgotten and lost history. He is he's one of the most impressive conservative thinkers ever. He's unknown, but by name a little bit, to, to the community, which he did so much good to bring about and a future for, so that they are better off than they were 200 years ago, those who were his family members, who have come along now, right? And what more can any man do than try to make his, his near, what's near to him, his family, his neighbors, his neighborhood, his city, better than it was? The alternative is just to make himself better, his own life. I think there's a lot of people doing that. That's what our nature does. But if you want, if you want good men, right? Good men have to speak. Good men have to act. Good men have to stand, and they have to have a place to stand. I am again to say, God bless America. I'm thankful to stand here as a Christian, looking for my Lord's return. We're gonna take a little bit of a break here, and then come back with your questions and my answers. Get into more theology, a little, a little less of the chaos of the moment. Uh, so stick around for just a moment. There we go. All right. Trying to find the right stuff. Looks like we're going to get a little um, lawn mowing going on behind me. And unfortunately, yet again, I'm having a little trouble with my drag and drop here on Ecamm. And so you aren't really able to see that question that just vanished, right? So here it is again. Oh, I don't know how to fix that at all. Let's see. I need to go over here to this. I got a super chat and I want to give thanks to Super Chat. Jedi Knight, Cringe Walker, once again, come in with that. Um, and I am sorry that I am unable to make your super chats. See, I need to have some time at my computer on an afternoon to work on this kind of stuff here, but, ah, I can't show you on the screen, but I can say what it said. Here it goes. He says, um, and thank you for the $10 super chat. Appreciate it. It's a controversial thought. If Revelation and Daniel describe the defeat of paganism as no more sea, like no more water, ocean, and pagans as animals coming out of the sea, could Noah be about a flood of paganism instead of water? Um, I'm just going to say no right off the bat uh, because that would be to say the flood was merely symbolic, right? And while the flood does have a symbol, a symbolic effect, that is the flood which historically happened at Noah's time has the symbolic effect of foreshadowing baptism and the washing away of our pagan sinfulness so that the Christian emerges free and clean in Christ alone because of the virtue of the promise given him, which is declared, I wash you in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I would say that that is a reality, but that there's a little more dance in here that I'm really wanting to jump on. Um, certainly, I, I'm curious about the no more sea thought and, and uh, you know what that could mean. Um, 
it, there's a lot of places like that in Revelation that there's room for debate. So like when I say that the, the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the land, they are this and they are that. Well, clearly there's debate about Revelation, right? So I'm sharing my opinion on it. And I think anybody who's going to engage and talk about Revelation has entered into the realm of speculation kind of de facto. It's why it's the last book in the Bible. And so you can't get too serious about it at the end of the day. You have to be able to disagree about it. And for that reason, you can't place too much on it, right? You can't be like, well, now this is all going to happen because Revelation, right? It's just, it's not quite like that either. So hopefully that's not what I was doing before. I was trying to show how Revelation gives us a, a framework for understanding our present times as similar to all times that have ever been under Christ's reign with the symbols of his entire Bible you know, showing us that. So we can go back and read those older stories and also see Christ in them as, as you are trying to do here a little bit, I think. right? But what we don't want to do for sure is diminish the reality of, uh, of the flood, the reality of the flood. Now, hmm. I thought that this thing was like that. That's where I want to be here. We're going to go ahead and just go straight through this list. I'm going to probably try to set up at some point a little dice rolling thing, but that ain't going to happen this week. Uh, Louis says this. He says, hi, Pastor Fisk. Regarding Magdeburg and the latest talk with Pastor Coombs, one issue that bugs me in that context is the role of pastors in Germany, 1940s. Huge conflict of conscience, I think. So, well, you got me there a little on what the reference historically is or directly is, right? So pastors, 1940s Germany, this is World War II. This is under Hitler. Uh, there were certainly Lutherans that were there under the unified Reformed Church of Germany that was not a Lutheran church. Again, it had absorbed by the sword the Lutherans and forced Lutherans into it. That's why you have things like the LCMS. You had a lot of people leave the country as a result of that. Um so uh, this church, which had remained, and in which some Lutherans did remain there, they, they still were Lutherans, right? But they were just not a Lutheran church. That church was a national church that was run by the state, which was then gradually infiltrated by something called the German Christian movement, which was just what the Nazis called themselves. It's kind of like Antifa, the fascists calling themselves anti-fascists, the communo-fascists calling themselves anti-fascists. So of course the Nazis called themselves just, we're just German Christians. That's all we are. Uh, and that movement gradually took over all the power within the churches and led to things like sermons on the Nazi agenda and, or what you might call Gestapo level listening, right? That kind of thing. So yeah, it was, it was a terrible time in the churches. I don't know a lot about it. I know that Herman Sasse's life was very challenging. He was a professor more than a pastor, though he was ordained. Uh, and yet uh, he spoke out boldly and was sheltered more or less by the political clout of his supervisor. Um, I'm not sure what the narrows of that mean. I just trust the, the men who, who have read those details more carefully when they told the story. Um, I know that uh, you definitely had the Barman movement that united to try to have all the Christians speak out against what was going on. I know that Sasa would not be part of it because, sadly, the Barman movement tried to also force everyone to agree about what the Lord's Supper means. So it used a very um, a momentous time in history to divide the church rather than to bind us because it tried to add more to the unification than was possible. Anyway, uh, you might know the name uh, Friedrich Bonhoeffer. Friedrich Bonhoeffer was part of that Barman Declaration, a Lutheran who did sign it. So he basically gave up his belief in the Lord's Supper mm, in confession, we would say. Um, and yet also as a pacifist, ended up being part of an attempt to kill Hitler, an uh, assassination attempt, and he was captured and eventually killed for that. And that's probably why he's famous more than what he wrote, though he was not a terrible writer. He did have some real flaws in his theology. I will recommend his book, The Psalms. It's very small and fantastic. But again, when it comes to the conflict of conscience that was going on and what you're referencing, I don't know that I can see through all that to say there's only one of those that would be happening, right? I think that 
like unto today, the confluence of reality, the number of complicated things that made it impossible to see further ahead than maybe a week or two, right, uh, left a lot of pastors just not even knowing what they were doing. Uh, and doing the best they could. And I think through it, you had Christians that obviously would have done Christian things and had a Christian solution to things, uh, even underneath the Nazis running everything. And would they be saving lives? I hope so, right? Uh, and then uh, you also uh, would have had people that would have not done that, right? Who would have lied and cheated and, and, and made their way through. You, you can never control that. You can never control the apostasy of people or the falling away of people or the deception of people, by, especially not by creating laws. You control that by trusting that Christ is sufficient and standing upon what he has said the law is, yeah, yeah, yourself. Make that stand. Confess it. Stand firm. And I'm sure that there were Lutherans who did that as pastors in this time. And I'm sure there were Lutheran pastors who had a conflict of interest <laughs> more than once. There are those today as well. You might not know, but it does. I mean, it's like, sorry, I shouldn't say duh. But really, in every industry, in every realm of life, that is kind of how it goes. So, uh, all right. Cindy says this. Good morning. Regarding a which came first question about baptism or generation of faith, which I asked or I answered a little bit of last week, I believe, right? Please see small called 3878. It happened to be today's reading of Concordia's prayer, pray now app, lest you think I'm some sort of Lutheran super scholar who had not fooled my brain, uh, who, who had that. It says fooled. I think it means uh, filed in my brain. Uh, thank you for your encouraging teaching. Your monologue Saturday especially encouraged me or rather exhorted me in a better direction. Good, 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 good. Um, uh, I don't have small called articles available to pull up right now on the screen, so I'm not going to dig into it at the moment, but I have I have read the small called articles, and I do recommend if you are going to read the Book of Concord, you should begin with the large catechism of Dr. Martin Luther and then go directly to these small called articles, also written by Luther. Not because Luther is always the best, because frankly, the solid declaration of the formula is the best, <laughs> uh, but uh, if you want like meaty juice, right? Uh, but what Luther is, is he, he's got a great aftertaste, and you want a little more. Uh, and so... They're not flat. It's not a flat. <laughs> so uh, you want a little more uh, once you've uh, uh, you've had a taste of him. And so that's why I'd say start with him. Is he's gonna he's gonna pull you into the book of Concord, and by the time you're done with him, you're gonna be like, I could eat some more that's just in the same plate. Yeah. And then you end up in the solid declaration at some point. So good good on you for reading uh, small call. Good on you. All right. Oh, I put that away so I wouldn't have to look at it. And I gotta pull it back up and say this one. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Seriously, you rock. Yeah. Right. Can I go? Um, Gen X? Uh, I guess so. Sad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's so Gen X to even do it that way. Like, just to say sad, isn't it? That's Gen X. It is, well, it's like living in England when it rains and rains and rains. Uh, I've been following, listening, watching, reading your work since 2013. I'm excited to be writing to you. Well, cool. Thank you. That is a long time. Dear heavens, have I been working that long? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm Lutheran and my husband is non-Dina. Uh, we frequently discuss our disagreements regarding baptism and the Lord's Supper and we'll continue to seek guidance on these topics. However, I doubt we will ever agree. Well, you know, pray for it. Pray that you will. Because you're both Christians, right? You both acknowledge that. Then you both know your Lord wants you to agree. And you both know that the scriptures are sufficient. And so if you can't come to can't come past an impasse now, doesn't mean that you can't both agree. Let's pray that the Lord would reveal to both of us the full clarity of the perspicuity of Scripture on the matter. Yeah, the clarity of Scripture on the matter. Um, so uh, don't doubt that you will ever agree. Certainly, on the day of resurrection, all will be clear. Yeah. So uh, hope that is just inspiring there, at least. Yeah. We plan to start raising a family soon. I'm worried about decisions like, yeah, well, that that's a real thing. Which church to attend? Infant baptism versus believers? Close communion? Confirmation class? I also worry about confusing children with our disagreements and causing them to doubt as a result. Yeah, you guys need a game plan, like ASAP, <laughs> together, like on the same team. 
game plan. And you're both going to have to, to give up. You both need to sacrifice. You both are going to realize that this is not going to go easy for you. And you both want to work so that neither of you have to sacrifice your conscience. Okay. Um, <laughs> sacrifice not your conscience and support each other's consciences. Um, talk to your pastors together about this, if possible, like all four of you. Uh, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, you want the marriage to be strong and to work for the good. You want a good game plan. So uh, what advice, comments? I just gave you some. Uh, resources, your pastors, do you have for Christian couples who disagree on these issues when trying to decide? Yeah, your pastors together. Let them talk about it in front of you. That'd be interesting. Um, they'd be like, ah, I don't have the time. That'll tell you a lot right there. Do How do I say I know you're busy. Aw. The show has always got time on it. Uh, I try to keep it succinct. If this is something you're interested in responding to and just details, let me know. Um, no, I think you gave me a lot of detail there. And the sad thing is that the, the main advice is to give to anybody who's watching who's not married yet is just to see how difficult it is when you don't agree on these things after you've gotten married. So even if you're going to marry someone who is not going to share the same worldview as you on a significant matter, and while Lutheran Christians and say some non-denom Christians, it's hard to know what they believe until they tell you, but while some non-denom Christians and Lutheran Christians agree on some very central matters of Christianity, um, it doesn't mean that uh, we, we can assume that, right? That we can assume that going in and that the disagreements are not significant enough to divide us while sojourning here on earth. That Christianity is pretty clearly going to undo the cross of schism and splinter and fracture and division because Jesus has come to set father against mother, sister against daughter, all that stuff. Or it's not sister against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And that this is to expose all of us to our sin so that all of us will see his grace. And the scriptures reveal that. And yes, are there some who will not believe? Yeah, there are. And are there some who will believe though erringly? Yes, there are. Are there some who will believe the whole truth? I, I think so. Ultimately, in any given moment, how much whole truth is there, but he is risen. And that's all you need. It's only when you kind of descend into the other places of doubt in scripture that you have the real problems begin to arise. But of course, there are people who doubt he is risen too, are there not? And so each dogmatic statement is the full counsel of God in and of itself. This is my body. It's also the full counsel of God. You are baptized as the full counsel of God. Jesus is never half himself anywhere, and he is the word made flesh. So to, to trust in this, right, to trust in this, and then to then be able to acknowledge your disagreements under it, that you are not unified fully in his word. That's a fact in your marriage, and you need help. And at the very least, you need your kids to know this doesn't mean you hate each other. It doesn't mean they can't grow up Christians. Understanding both, right, understanding both parts of it. Now, the trick, of course, is things like infant baptism. Because you have to, if you give up infant baptism, you cede the matter to the what you believe to be the heterodoxy. That's where it is a matter of your conscience to give up infant baptism. It's also, sadly, a matter of his conscience to allow it. Similarly to if you were to allow a rebaptism of your baptized child later in life, it would be against your conscience. So you, you've put yourselves in a, a pickle. No, the marriage is a pickle. And it's, it's a pickle because baptism is that important. Or if it's not, if it's not that important to him, well, then that's part of your answer as a couple, too. Who does it matter to? Whose conscience is most in on this? Now, I would hope the Lutheran's conscience would be most in on this because it's the holy word of God. God help me. <laughs> 
but but uh, at the same time, right? It's 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 a marriage. You are together. You are one flesh. And though as one body you have two minds, uh, remember this too. His mind is the one that is set to be an authority. So to to counsel him will be difficult from the position of wife. It is not really what you're given to do. Though for him to fail to listen to you will be to be a fool of a husband. Right? So both those things can be true, and neither of them be excuses for chauvinism. <laughs> uh, so uh, in that then also, as much as it is your duty to listen to the guidance and follow the sometimes right stumbling uh, male headship uh, of your family, which is always the case, you also are not commanded to obey man rather than God, even your own husband. And so at the end of the day, uh, those things which are commanded by the Lord, uh, you, you must do. So instead of sneaking away to secretly baptize your child, to teach your child about baptism being a gift of God, so that by the time your child is three, they're saying, I want baptism. Give me believer's baptism. <laughs> and, like, and then the Baptist won't know what to do with it because they think he can't believe until he's 12 or whatever, right? Um, but, you know, you can submit and also teach. Yeah? There is no command to baptize the child on the eighth day or the 25th day. And while we know that's the better way, you also know that the Lord is the one in charge of this whole thing. You also know that in an instant of the child being in threat of life, you can spit in your hand and baptize. So I guess that's part of my answer on that question. Although, again, I say you and your two pastors get together in a room and hash out a plan together. And it's going to take you like a couple meetings. It might even get a little rough. Um, you need good pastors because you're walking down a difficult spiritual road. So I appreciate the question, and I hope I've given you a good answer. I cannot, you know, outside of being your counselor, which I'm not going to be, um, I, I, I cannot help you more than that. Uh, I can tell you, perk up in, the, in regard to don't doubt you'll ever agree. The Bible's clear on the matter. And it is merely the arrogance of man that is blinding us. And I can say that if I am wrong about it, it would be my arrogance that would make me so. Given that I've been almost on the other side before and came this way from it, I'm probably not going to change my mind again. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, yeah, that is what it is. Let's keep moving here. Oh, I should see. I, I think, where am I? Do, 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 do. I want to make sure I get to, ah, no, I don't, but I'm going to get there anyway. What are your thoughts on this? A call for racial justice reform in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod from change.org. The members of the Lutheran, yeah, I, my thoughts on it, I haven't looked at it. Um, my thoughts are that at this moment in time, anything that has this language attached to it is about making money somewhere. Now, the people doing it may not feel that that's what they're doing. They may think they're just trying to get what they deserve. But it seems to me that there's just a big grab going on. So... I don't know what racial justice would be in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I don't know what justice would be in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm not sure I've ever seen it. <laughs> so it's just kind of a complex thing. What are the institutions that would indeed need to be dealt with? Are there institutions that are, are lacking racial representation? I mean, there's a black member on the Council of at least on the council president, on the on the uh, vice president, the presidium. Um, he didn't run on being black either. He just he's just there, right? Um, we have we have agreements with people of all sorts of uh, other nationalities in their nations, and we never went and put our own churches there. We just taught them, and they made their own churches. We never took over. 
at least I don't, we tried not to. I don't know if evil men did evil things, but the, the, the history of it. So, so what's the what's the justice we're looking for? What is what's the where's the wrong? And now, is the wrong that it's hard to be a black man in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod? I believe that. I believe that absolutely. I believe it's hard to be an Asian man. I believe it's hard to be a Hispanic man. I believe it's hard to be a white man, honestly, because it, it really is. It ain't much of a gig. <laughs> if you're a pastor, ain't much of a gig. Uh, so I, I'm not quite sure why we would want to have the pastors set against each other. Maybe there are pastors in, in other older generations that have had the power to exercise racial profiling. profiling. Um, I've never really had the opportunity to have that kind of power in my life. So I, I really don't know, right? It, it's just sort of a strange question. It seems to me, and I'm, I know, it seems to me an interestingly timed, a well-timed thing to get attention by using keywords that the brainwashing white noise wants you to believe are important words to what's it gonna what's it gonna call for and i'll almost guarantee you the most the lcms could ever do is just appropriate some money and a budget to it it's the most we could ever do as an organization because the organization is so incompetent as an organization it does a lot of really good things don't get me wrong we do lots of really good like things worldwide there's stuff the lcms is doing with seminary training and stuff the rest of the world. that's all amazing but to like shift that whole structure on a site. No, is the most that happens when you make small decisions to build Lego machines of institutions over decades. And the most that happens in this moment right now from this is we just, someone gets more money. One or 10 people get more money. That's what I think is probably going to happen. And whatever, whatever. It doesn't seem to matter to me at this time in our country, whether or not I get a little more money in my paycheck. Now, I'm not out of work, nor do I negative money to just roll in it, but it seems to me that far more important than just kind of getting a little more from me and mine right now would be thinking about how me and mine continue to be at liberty a generation from now. And it's not just about having a little more money or a pair of Nikes that I pulled out of a store. <laughs> uh, that's about helping my children grow to understand the value of their liberties, the value of their religion, and to never let it be something in which it's like, well, maybe we'll walk away from this. That's an option someday. Uh, um, you don't walk away from he has risen. You can't. Not if you know it. right? Now, are there so do? Yeah, the devil prowls like a roaring lion. right? So law gospel. I know. I talked to the both sides of my mouth. Law gospel. It's, it's the scriptures. It's law gospel. Go study law gospel. You know what I did. Um, the fact of the matter is, again, the threat is real. The father of the family is given to be the preacher of the household. The primary task of all before food, before warmth, is worldview. To know, understand, and believe. And more than ever right now, this country needs people who can just know, understand, and believe the Ten Commandments. Which, if you haven't ever done a little study of the Ten Commandments, lay them out. Right next to the Bill of Rights, lay them out. You can almost draw lines. Not quite. Not quite. It's not that good. You can almost draw lines. It's, it's pretty pretty potent stuff. So anyway, what do I think about call for racial justice? What I really like is for all nations to be baptized in Christ and remember that there is only one remaining race. His name is Adam, number two, Jesus of Nazareth, and by his blood, we are brothers. Far tighter than skin tone could make me a brother of anyone than my own sister, who I just said happy 4th of July to yesterday. I am not as close to her as I am to all Christians by virtue of the blood of Jesus. And in that regard, thank God, I am close to her because she also is a Christian by virtue of the blood of Jesus. But in this said, to call for racial justice is, in my mind, to kind of forget that, that point a little bit. 
And if you don't think you've been treated like a brother, call for brotherly justice, brother. That's what I'm saying. All right, enough of that. Ugh, LCMS. The LCMS, I love you, uh, presides over 6,000, I don't even know what this is, uh, presides over 6,000 congregations with more than 2 million members. Yeah. 778 elementary schools for the moment, uh, 84 high schools for the moment, eight colleges for the moment, and two seminaries for the moment. Uh, not to mention, sorry, just, just futuristing for you. It's just a guess. Uh, not to mention its many educational, missional, and services around the world. Yeah. Uh, the signers of this statement are either members of the LCMS. Oh, there's more of that question, maybe. Have been educated by Luther. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Uh, encouraged by Missouri Synod pastors, or they've experienced seemingly limitless generosity of the church by its participants and organizations. We love our church, but we have a problem. Despite presiding over the largest Protestant school system in America, the LCMS is our nation's third least. Oh, I see where it's going. Among the more tangible effects of our systemic issues, the Synod only... The Synod's only historical black college is closed. Yeah, there's um, significant financial reasons for it and Portland and other coming closures that sadly maybe could have had something done about them 30 years ago. That's my opinion. Uh, black ministries have lost synodical funding. Everything's lost synodical funding. Uh, and no black Lutherans are in seminary this year. That's very sad. Are white people supposed to make that happen? I mean, I'm serious. Like, really? You're telling me I'm racist. How am I going to convert anybody? All white people are racist, and now I'm supposed to like go up to people who are not like me and be like, "Hey, be like me," <laughs> right? What? So, so what do you? Which one do you want? Which one do you want? You who are signing this, which one do you want? Um, I would love more black Lutherans entering seminary. Is the issue lack of money in our synodical institutions? Do we need more bureaucracy and structure? More desk positions? Is that is that the idea? Or could all Lutherans that are Lutherans maybe just learn to care a little bit more about being Lutheran? And knowing what it believes, why it is what it is, why we have these historic practices we've been trying to shed for 30 years that we shouldn't shed because they're worth sharing. And if we did share them, we might have people of other ethnicities say, look, they got something. It's just my opinion. I'm crazy. Ignore me. I'm in a corner. I'm in the middle of nowhere, actually. Uh, throughout its history, our church body has made efforts toward racial equality. We have. Um, and and we, we believe in it, more importantly, because the Bible and the church and Jesus far beyond the LCMS, doesn't just teach racial equality. It teaches the, the brotherhood of mankind. Far more important thing, honestly. Look, see how our language has been just sterilized by the communist language, the, the propaganda? Why don't we talk about the brotherhood of mankind rather than racial equality? That is, that is not biblical language, brothers. Whoever you are, and I haven't looked at your names, it doesn't matter. And God bless you. I know you think you're fighting for good. You're trying to trying to, but really, the language doesn't help us. Brotherhood of man would be way better here. Throughout our history, the LCMS has made efforts toward the brotherhood of man. That'd sound nice. But it has also been an impediment. You mean sinful men in positions of power have used it for their own good, right? As opposed to, say, organization itself or just all the white people did it, right? I guess it could be those two. What do you mean? I'd like to know because the language is kind of charged, is it not? Um, hmm. And at times, a hostile opponent to those causes. I believe it. I heard a, I heard an absolutely terrible story. Uh, oh man, so sad. Young evangelical convert, LCMS, now pastor. First call. Second call? Somewhere in there. Might have been his vicarious. Ah, first call. It's been a while since I heard the story. He wants to do mission work on the street. And within a week or two, he has met and engaged and invited and brought into the congregation to visit for a Sunday, a seven member family of African-Americans. And on the day they walked into the church, while he was up front and they came early, 
dress nice, look good, ready for church. And there was a usher who shouted across the sanctuary a racial slur about where to seat them. Unbeknownst that this was going to happen, right? That obviously the pastor who'd done all this was like, what? You know, he's like, ah, because, uh, well, and then he was preparing to take a call. That's <laughs> what he was doing after that. Now, I don't know if I would have done it that way either. Do you fight that? I don't know. What do you do? That's awful. That's so ridiculous. I can't believe that's there, but it is there. I'm not going to pretend it's not there. So I believe it. I believe it. You think the answer is more institution though? That's, that's what I don't believe. I believe that there, we, we have racists who are racist. There are such people out there. Is it the, is it all of us? I think that's, that is racism to say that all of anything is anything is prejudice. That's the definition. And we were so looped in on ourselves now, so looped in on ourselves, we can't even see that we're doing the thing we're accusing people of doing. Hmm. Just as often, our cultural divides have been exacerbated by the church's silence, and we have failed to speak for the suffering, even for those within our very own congregations and schools. Uh, further context on those matters? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that the LCMS, as an organization, is a brutally cold shoulder to all suffering of anybody who strives to work within it. Straight up. It, it is not a good life to be a church worker in the LCMS. Not in American terms. Is it a good life in that there are many people who have done it and been grateful for peaceful and quiet toiling under the word of God? Yes, absolutely. But to go into this and think that somehow we're going to not have suffering as church workers in the LCMS, and this is a matter of race? (laughs) I'm sure it's bad. I'm sure it's bad for black pastors. I'm sure it's bad for Mexican pastors because it's bad for white pastors. (laughs) I'm sure it's bad. What do you want? There's, there's nobody with any actual ability to fix any of that, except for you where you are changing your attitude and stop blaming everybody else. Maybe just start being different yourself. Or we're just going to throw money at it instead because we have so much money to spend, right? Uh, while we refuse to close, uh, to closet past transgressions, we are not here to relentlessly flog ourselves nor our leaders. That's good because that's we need to not do that. <laughs> driven by fervent hope, good. We faithfully believe that the people of the LCMS have the opportunity, capacity, and influence to lead the church and nation in, we're not going to lead the nation, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, capacity to, ah, uh, no. We, we don't. We, that, you think way too highly of us. You think way too, we're, you think we're bigger than we are. We are not going to lead the nation. Uh, what we could do, let's see, opportunity, capacity, and influence to lead the church, to lead our neighborhoods would be nice. Lead our families would be good. Let's try that. I'm going to try that one. Where is it? Uh, Driven by hope. Fervent hope. Ooh, adjectives. Uh, We faithfully believe the people of the LCMS have the opportunity, capacity, and influence to lead their families and neighborhoods and congregations to take actions toward equality, justice, and reconciliation. Yeah. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why do we change the terms? That's what I don't care. Why do we let the communists change the language? And then when they change the language, they redefine the term in the new language, right? So it means something different for them. And then they use that meaning in the propaganda. And eventually you can't talk anymore. That's postmodernism. And if you haven't read Marcuse, then you please don't argue with me about it. Go read some Marcuse. <laughs> yeah, don't tell me I'm just, that is my opinion. Uh, it, it, this is a little, little deeper than that. 
media ecology and the movement of both the fascist and Marxist ideology in America is is demonstrable. And, uh, you know, I don't think you should be I'm, I'm not wearing There's no tinfoil on my head. I, you know, I don't know. Aliens in Miami. I already think that maybe aliens are here because if you've been listening to the reports, we got some weird stuff flying all over the place for years and our military has been watching it. Then again, what's an alien? What's a life form that isn't a human that is spatially weird? Ah, I believe in angels and demons. So whatever, you know, I'm not worried about it, but I am worried about the language of the Marxists and the progressive agenda replacing good old Lutheran and good old American terminology. That bothers me. Why are we talking about this now? Is it because we think it's important or is it because we've been told we have to think it's important? That's kind of where I'm at, right? I think we might have some more of it here. Yep, we got the whole article. Here we go. The Lutheran Church, but that's the same one, so maybe not. Let's see. First part, second part, here it goes. With all this in mind, the signers of the statement, humbly. All right, so here's a question. Is this a confession? I don't even know what's going to say next, but as a member of the LCMS, I know in the past we have made a very big deal about not adopting new confessions and the the power of the brief statement, uh, so-called, um, as a confession continues to be disputed and debated. And so I got to ask, you know, this is a little bit of an interesting thing to do. Is this intended to be a public confession to add to the Book of Concord? Uh, or is it just merely a statement? I like the declare language much better, but the use of confess there, um, I'm not sure why that's there, honestly. It, it makes me nervous, period. I don't even know what it's going to say. But you, you want me now to become a confessor with you, right? That is, that's intense. It's intense. I'm not ready for that. Um, certainly not with the language that's been used. Wow. Um, confess that our thoughts, words, and deeds have created, deepened, and sustained the last... No. Oh, I see. Ha! You're confessing sin. I'm not going to join you on this one. Uh Sustain lasting wounds of racial prejudice, inequality, and injustice by what we have done, what we have left undone, what we have done. I appreciate the sentiment, but what is this? Um, what is the end of this? Did, don't I confess this when I confess my sins? Do you think I haven't? Do, do you know me? Do you know that I have not spent time already being concerned about these things? So why is this now... Why is this liturgy? Why is this uh, devotional? Why am I have? Why do I have to worship with you, if this is just a statement? Right. Or if it's a confession in the other sense, it's a very poor one, actually. <laughs> right. So everything I said before doesn't apply to this, thankfully. Uh, but uh, uh, I hope we declare an intent to, by God's grace, dismantle the systems of racism within our congregations, communities, and how are you going to do that? Do you know that dismantling the system in the Marxist language literally means destroying everything? That this is their agenda and you've adopted their language, whether you know it or not. And so ideas have consequences. Have you read that book? And if you haven't, well, you should. <laughs> ideas have consequences. And they, they take decades or generations to play themselves out. And if you want to set in place the pattern of dismantling systems as your heritage, the kids are going to have a hard world. Systems of racism. What is a system of racism? How about we confess what the Bible says about the brotherhood of mankind? Are we even going to get to that? I don't think we're even going to get to that. That's very sad. By God's grace. Thank God he's going to do it for us. <laughs> we're going to... I'm sorry. Thy will be done, right? Let it be. 
Um, and fireworks in the background. Missouri. Uh, our work for, we declare and intend to, by God's grace, dismantle the systems of racism within our congregations, communities, and church body. Oh, white guilt, man. Jeez. Our, our work for racial equality does not end with this statement, but rather begins. Good. That's fine. Uh, he will, we will aim to honor the humanity of our black and brown neighbors by listening. Okay. According to the, um, the new standards uh, for, I forget what it is, whatever, you know, when you write your paper for Harvard, you have to follow these standards. Uh, you're supposed to capitalize black and brown. So you guys should have been listening a little better. That was not just the last couple of days. That's been around for like a week. Um, so uh, you have failed to honor them according to some already uh, just so you know i'm just letting you know what's out there that you're already working with and saying we need to follow them and you're failing because um, you will because you can't do this enough for them to be satisfied um but i'm all for honoring the humanity of everybody <laughs> by listening learning and moving forward toward faithful action and decision making process of the church well yeah sure I'm going to let you guys do most of that at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, city, uh, I'm going to get involved in that one. Yeah. Uh, and, and send it again. Oh, by church here, Little C Church, you meant meant congregation. Sure. Uh, and then by synod, again, I'll let you guys handle that one. Uh, inviting the accountability of fellowship when we fall short. I think that means that we're going to still talk to each other, which is pretty cool. Like, I'm all for that. Um, we pledge support in word and deed and resources to raise up. I don't need to pledge that because I've wanted that for a long, I've been praying for that long time, long time. I hope, I believe, I believe they're somewhere already. They are. Where are they? Yeah, support them when you see them. Hmm. Black leaders, as well as seeking out opportunities to elevate and amplify current black Lutheran voices. What does that mean? Um, oh, wait, <laughs> I can't even go into that one. <laughs> There's a way in which, uh, there's an irony at play in this locally for me in Rockford that um, that really, really makes it hard to be happy about this letter. Um, but that, that's a different thing. And that's just on my own my own struggle with uh, kind of understanding the crosses that I bear. Yeah. And uh, and whatnot. But yeah, it's elevate and amplify current black Lutheran voices. Why don't we try to elevate and amplify like all Lutheran voices? Because <laughs> we're all really quiet. No one's listening to us. This little thing, like, like the reason I have not read this and don't know anything about it is not because I don't think my church body matters. We do. I just think we think we matter way too much. And we're busy with our head in the sand and we have no idea what's going on around us. So we're, we're, we're writing up stuff like this to like deal with our little inner circle so we can keep our budget train going. But meanwhile, the world is changing so fast that this doesn't matter, except for that you've given ground to those who will come back and demand more next time. And whatever it is what it is um i'm with you on this last sentence here right we do not expect the deep wounds of racial divide to be healed overnight you know i don't expect the wounds of racial divide to be healed because i don't expect sin to stop i don't expect prejudice to go away from hateful hearts i think that christians can stop being prejudiced and can learn to well fight against the hate that rises within all humans and then indeed love their neighbor as themselves at least striving to do so under confession and regular absolution the sacraments, all these things. Uh, but to think that somehow we're going to heal the divisions on the planet, again, who are you taking cues from at this point? And where's the Bible? Because now I think I can actually say it. Where's the Bible? LCMS document, confession, <laughs> statement that we're supposed to sign. Where's the Bible? We do not expect the deep wounds to heal. We do believe, however, that it's reasonable and necessary for us to take immediate, visible, and bold action. Where? What? What's that? Where? What is it? You just said it's immediate, visible, and bold. What was it? Or was it just talk? 
the lives of our congregants, the future of our communities. Or you just want me to go be immediate and bold. <laughs> so I learned not to do that as a pastor pretty quick. <laughs> Don't be immediate and bold. Always think it through and try to be gentle. That's my pastoral advice. Um, it's time. <sighs> well, it's time. For what? It was time 10 years ago. Yeah, you can look that up if you want the history. Uh, Hello, Pastor. Let's get to something real. Yes? Oh, this is exciting to me. Tangent, though, and sorry about the birds. Where where the, what is it, where the vultures are? No, where the, where the carcasses are? There the vulture will gather? That is not a vulture. It's annoying, though, isn't it? I'm going to come check in you guys in comments after this question, but let's do this one first. I'm going to check my time, too. Oh, come now. Ah, ah, right here. You know what? I have an idea. No, I don't know what. I don't have an idea. I was going to take a break. We're going to do this question. We're going to take a break, come back. I'm going to read comments during the break, and then we'll come and engage comments a little bit more this morning. Uh, hello, Pastor. I decided to get a box of index cards, and I'm reading the Smart Notes book. I'm making some progress. One thing I'm trying to make idea cards, make is idea cards, white and task cards, not white, pink, blue, so colors, right? Um, this way I can mix tasks together and ideas together in a project stack and still keep them separate. I hope you guys aren't bothered by that bird. It is driving me crazy. Um, so I'm gonna stop right here and talk about this. So I am learning this hard, the hard way, but I'm, I'm really beginning to believe that the smart note idea and the stack, what I'm gonna call the stack idea, the stack of note cards. Where's my, here's my my primary stack right here for like my travel vacation time, okay? Um, the most important thing I can do with this is not try to overconnect it by complicated tagging systems. It's the worst thing you can do. So color coding of any kind is a really bad idea. Now I'm gonna show you something though. I do use three different color pens, but I do it intentionally without meaning. It has no meaning. I also have some that have, say, a um, uh, the grid on it and some that don't. And I like the grid. I don't like the grid. But I intentionally make it have no meaning to the information on the card. Because as soon as I do that, I've entered a, 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 a point of failure in the system. Right? It's a point where I can make a mistake that later causes me problems. Because if I don't do it right all the time. And so what I do is I build pressure into the system as well. And I don't want that. I want my system of thought and task management and information tracking to be without pressure. I want it to be a relief to, to pressure. So I would really counsel you against uh, color coding at this point. Um, let me read more and maybe I'll be able to give you more on that. But the, the unity of the stack, it's, its ability to always be what it is, is its strength. And you don't want to diminish that simplicity, right? So even my colored pens is really cheating. Now, the main way I do it is so that when I go and write on a note a second time, I just know I've had different sessions, right? So every color pen is definitely a different session of sitting and looking at the same card, pondering the same thought, writing on that thought. Um, that's, but, but then it has no meaning after that, right? So there is no way to get lost in that. It just, they're just color and it just makes the card pretty. It's a little easier to move your way through bullet points if they're just discolored. Putting that into here, I would be really concerned about messing it up once it got more complex. And so I, I recommend not doing that. Um, uh, for things that are time-based, I store a reference in the tickler, which moves them to soon. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to incorporate the calendar and tickler into the stack. Um, 
And I'm, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, going on vacation without my wall calendar, which was my is my calendar. I have missed two appointments this week that I forgot I had on my vacation week. Uh, so, so how does that work into the stack? I've been living from the stack, and that's basically why. Um, uh, which again, the stack is the set of note cards, which has a set of rules that I hope to teach you at some point. Um, so, but I lost I lost the calendar action. So, how does the tickler fit into this as well, as opposed to um, the extension and slipbox idea? Without really boring the viewers who aren't aren't versed on the stop the white noise stuff, um, uh, I won't go off into that. But the idea of having a tickler file is fairly necessary, right? I think I think if you're going to keep track of stuff analog, you must have something that you can mail yourself information in the future without having to pay postage, right? That's what a tickler file does. Uh, you can Google it, learn more about it. Uh, for example, the vehicle project uh, is helping me remember what we want. And our next people mover. Okay, so you're just that's, you have a vehicle project, right? But it's also storing the change oil task card. Uh, but when the change oil nag message shows up on my dash, I move the card to the inbox stack. Uh, oh, good, yeah. Well, when I change my oil, it goes back to the vehicle project stack, right? So you can reuse the cards as triggers, right? Good for you. You're seeing it. These things can be triggers, which when they become permanent or deep, that deep doesn't mean that they're like they're deep. It just means that you're not going to write on it again as often, right? It's now going to be a repeat. You can then use those. At, with a, a tickler file somewhere else where you're mailing ahead to yourself that very card, change oil, right? So it just shows up. And then if you also have a way to follow the, the Lumens, I think it was Lumen, uh, Luminite uh, 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 reference system, the A1, 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 and it's got that as well, and that place is never moving, then you could also, in theory, move it over there for a while and just not have it show up in the, in the tickler anymore. Um, now, the thing about that though is you it really requires, so far as I can see it right now, you need a tickler slip box. So one slip box that's a, just a tickler, really. It's not a slip box. It's a tickler file. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out how I want to do that. I think I have some ideas just this morning about how I want to set one up for the year um, that isn't like repeat, but actually has a card I pull out. So every day I just, that's the first thing I'm going to pull out is that card. Um, and uh, uh, whatever gets put there from before just ends up being there the night before I can put stuff there. Um, I'm leaning toward that. I haven't done that yet, but that'll be a separate box on my desk. It'll have the whole year as a calendar just in the box. Um, and then it can pull out and join my stack for the day um, as I walk around. Um, so uh, so there is that. It's uh, uh, still just me kind of going on on the tickler file a little bit. Oh, the, the vehicle project and, and moving stuff back and forth. Yeah. So then you do need that second real slip box or lumen box. I don't want to call it a slip box because I think that name is so bad. Um, lumen box. Uh, which is using his filing system and which you're putting things by categories that have emerged from your initial just collecting of information. So one of the big mistakes I think I'm seeing my friends who are doing this with me make is trying to over control the categorization of their slip box. Um, it may work out really cool. Uh, I don't want to give away anybody else's ideas or anything, but um, I know one of them that I'm talking in a dialogue with about this uh, is has very intentionally structured his slipbox theologically. Um, I don't know that that would work. <laughs> so I'm really curious about that. Mine has arisen from the pile. And what I've found instead is what I would compare to getting things done, horizons of context. Uh, and so if you're familiar with that chapter in the David Allen, getting things done stuff, the horizons uh, of um, uh, focus points, sorry. Uh, right, they're all horizons. It's the, it's the focus points, the context. The vocations is the best I could ever make of that chapter was, okay, these are my vocations, but then how do I track it? It never really fit in any of the systems I was using for tracking information. So I would never reference it. And David Allen said how he would look at it, say at the end of the week when he wanted to know if he had forgotten anything. 
I'm so busy trying to keep everything up. There's no time for me to wonder if I forgot anything and go think up more stuff, right? So, um, so I never ever able to make use of that as much. But what I found though is that those have been very, very efficient um, index cards in the slipbox. I'm calling them Horizons of Focus because it's David Allen language. Horizon cards and Horizons of Focus. Um, so that getting into the slipbox is very intuitive. And even lines up organically because the overlap between those, the vocation of, say, Mad Christianity and St. Paul Lutheran Church Rockford, there's some overlap there, right? So they lie together in that initial emergent structure. And now after this, the slip box, lumen box structure will strictly be, again, random. And this gets back to your idea about the code card coloring. You want it to be random. You do not want to have anything distracting you while you're in that slip box because you just want to trust those numbers in the upper right corner that you're writing down. Again, now, if you haven't read the book, all oh, that's a bit too much geek deep there. Uh, so I'll pull it back. Uh, the November tickler triggers, snow tires, okay, same idea, repeated, right? Um, I pull out all the white cards, discard the tasks back into the project stack. Well, if the color is working for you there, I don't want to take it away from you. Uh, or I can keep the tasks in hand and think about the maintenance too. Yep. Still learning. So this may be a disaster waiting to happen. That's what it feels like, isn't it? It does. It feels like a disaster waiting to happen, but the disasters and learning experiences are what make them fun. Uh, Jeffrey, it does. You feel like you're not sure. You feel like maybe you're forgetting something. And I did this week because it was the calendar issue, right? So building the calendar in the tickler. Um, but what I love is this. So I woke up this morning. I knew I had a show to do. I knew I wasn't prepared. I knew there needed to be cleaning done out here. I knew that, uh, you know, uh, Frisbee the Hand had done the prep work. Um, and I knew that I was on vacation and hadn't thought about much for a couple of days. And yet I had had my stack all the while. And I got my I got my cover page, which is just sort of like I write on it every day, a little note to myself. Um, and then the next one, I always make sure I, I give myself something that I think I need to think again or I think will encourage me. And I I... Went to go buy a cup of coffee. Ended up not getting one. Just went for a drive instead out in the country. It was real nice. Take a back road. Great song. Um, and uh, uh, But before I did that, I made sure I opened my stack and I looked at the first card. And here's what it said. I don't know if you can read it. If it's backwards or not. There it is. What do I do? Question mark. The same thing you've been doing. Now, maybe that doesn't mean much to you. But where I was psychologically this morning, that was a breath of fresh air. Oh, I just oh, felt great. Turned the car on. Went for a drive. Uh, it was It was wonderful. Right. The next thing is my Mad Mondays article. There it is. It says MM in the corner because it's not been filed yet, nor will it probably ever be filed. Um, if it gets filed as a permanent deep thought, it will have changed form between this and that. This is what I would still call a T-note. Um, it's moving around. It's not in the slip box. But I rarely mark T-notes. However, I will name it with a project either on the upper corner, right there like Mad Mondays, or um, here we come up with one. Here you can see one of my notes is sticking out the top here because the side just says upon return, right? So that means that's an, a list of stuff that I wanna look at when I get back on vacation, right? And uh, so it stays at the back. I reload it, that's what I call putting it at the back of the back of the stack. Um, that's all another topic. And this has been fun. It is a disaster waiting to happen or it's magic. It's magic information management. It's, it's really cool. It's an AI that's you and you program and it gets smarter. It's really cool. That's the slip box and the stack and all that stuff. All right. Okay. I told you guys that I was going to take a little bit of a break. Read your comments. Come back with some of those. So that's what we're going to do. Let's go away for three minutes. I will see you soon. That was the wrong button. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, my headphones might be on the wrong. Nope. They're good. We're, we're back with that. Okay. So a couple of really good comments from you. Uh, Illuminati out there in the world. Jonathan Ziegler chimes in with some Marxism stuff. Oh, and I still got, how can I fix this? I so want to fix this. Maybe like this. That helped. All right. Save. Done. Sweet. And then it went away. 
I think I remember turning on a thing a while back when I was experimenting that allowed me to have things disappear after so many seconds of putting it up. I thought, that's great. But now I think that's terrible. (laughs) So Jonathan says this, uh, equality, justice, and reconciliation are great sounding words. Who could be against that? But they have specific meanings in a Marxist social justice context. Right. So as a Lutheran, it's like this. Justification, sanctification, sacrament. These words have very specific meanings that are powerful to us. And other people hear them and they're like, what does that mean? Like they, they don't know. It doesn't even really, I mean, they might've heard it once, they read about it, but it's like not a word to them in a power sense. And so the, it's not dogma in that way, right? It is not, it's not part of their worldview or of their identity even. And these words are that for Marxist movements, which are generally, if you go study them, terrorist movements also, interestingly enough. Antifa has got some amazing pictures out there. If you follow the people who follow Antifa and report on them, I mean, the more you follow it, you know, they're not making this up. <laughs> uh, it's, it's nuts. So yeah, so to know that these words, you, who could be the guy in the Texas congregation who shouted about the black family visiting his church, this is again, decade ago and more, but who called them a racial slur, that guy probably doesn't think black lives matter. But I've grown up in the LCMS. And while there may be people who harbor those opinions, people don't speak or teach those opinions or practice those opinions that black lives don't matter. Nobody does that. No one's against this phrase. No one's against equality, justice, and reconciliation. The issue is what do you mean when you say those things? And who gets to meet them out? Because if equality, justice, and reconciliation is burning elk statues, oh, did you see they fortified the area around it, however? There was a plan. The elk statue is becoming a barricade. <laughs> Do you see the people sing the song of angry men? It's a great play. There were real reasons France needed to change. I'm thankful I didn't live during that time. I hope I don't. I hope I don't. For what it's worth, Jonathan says as well, Brother of Mankind, I'm very thankful for this comment, by the way. Shroof, shroof. And I just got like, I just got owned. Uh, For what it's worth, Brotherhood of Mankind is a phrase, via the computer now again, is a phrase with origins in masonry and the atheist French religion. You're right. And I knew that. Blah. Um, Jesus says everyone is our neighbor. Well said. uh, And the baptized become brothers in Christ. How about uh, the eternal redemption of all mankind in Christ as opposed to Brotherhood of Mankind? Because I don't want to put you know, brotherhood of Christianity in that in that document. I'm arguing for language for that document. So, the redemption of all mankind. Every man, woman, and child. You can't say it enough to keep someone from saying you're leaving them out, though. But, all men. In Christ. One. Now, there's neither male nor female because all are in him. Yeah. Um, good stuff, Jonathan. Really appreciate that call out there uh, against what I said. So, uh, speaking of that French Revolution, New York, who's a person now, <laughs> How's it going being occupied in New York? I didn't see much about that after it popped up. They fortified and then what? That was that was two days ago. Oh, goodness gracious. There it goes again. Uh, the French perfected decimating their own Christian history during the revolution. Their statues were the first set of markers to come down. Yeah, right. Because if you want people to forget, you remove the history. And then all they have is their opinions. And they think those opinions are stable. They don't realize that because of confirmation bias, your opinions are a conglomeration of the most recent things you heard. So if you're hearing stuff often enough, eventually it will be your opinion. You think you're an island. You think you're an intellect that is some willpower of God to stand against the waves of ideas and time, but you're not. 
You're not. You're an amalgamation of ideas that have come to you. What goes in is what comes out eventually. This is called confirmation bias. Again, I'll tell you, go study it. It's on a small level and it's on a macro level over time. It's how media works. It's where its power comes from. And if you want to study media ecology, you should do that too because we don't know enough about how this stuff is affecting us. Anyway, anyway, Barrett Albatross says, Mr. Ziegler, do you know where I could find information on how the radical atheist movement in Europe transitioned from the blasphemous writings of the Jacobins to the works of Marx? Now, that is a question. That is such a good question, and I have no idea as to the answer, but I hope Mr. Ziegler is able to help. Um, oh, here, here he comes. He says, uh, if you just want quick information, Google French Revolution Origins of Marxism for something more academic. Marx and the French Revolution by Francois Fauré. Um, so that is the kind of stuff that goes on in the comments of Saturday Morning Chill. Because, you know, we're like that over here. It's just, well, it is what it is. Speaking of Jedi Knight Anakin Quinjrocker, who I don't know what you're saying. Oh, well, you got a question, but... You have Jedi Knight in your title, and it's not well-known, but it is loosely known that I was a Star Wars fan. And it is, uh, that's maybe well-known uh, within, you know, we TV circles. Um, but it is not well-known, though loosely known, that I hate Star Wars now. <laughs> I despise it. And it has everything to do with um, Luke dying, pretty much. I, I just summed up on that. When Luke died, I was done. Um, however, my parents have convinced me to watch The Mandalorian, and I'll have y'all know, um, that's some gold. That's some golden TV right there. We'll see where it goes. I'm only three episodes in, and it is a bit violent for my youngest. Uh, she it really didn't, didn't sit well with her, so I think I would have not let her uh, watch. Oh, actually, we didn't. We stopped her. My my second youngest, he's doing okay. So he's he's nine now. Um, the violence is where I want him to see and have to wrestle with it. It's not bloody and gory, but it definitely has action, firing, that kind of stuff, some disintegrations. Um, but I want him to learn to respect weapons. I uh, just got a BB gun for his baptism birthday, stuff like that. So, you know, trying to teach him to understand these things and realize the world he lives in is not the safe one we would like to keep our house as. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in any case, Mandalorian, uh, high marks so far after three episodes and I get the baby Yoda craze. I did not get it. I had no, I'm like, what, how could they possibly have convinced people to buy Yoda now? After everything else, I mean, they just they just sold their souls to make money on these on these toys for the last decade, right? And and now now that people are buying Baby Yoda, what what witchcraft was this? Was my thought? <laughs> it's John Favreau. That's what it was. Oh, what? If you don't know John Favreau, uh, Tim Ferriss interviews him, and that's a great introduction to John Favreau. Uh, let's go check that one out. All right, so. Uh, uh, still glancing at uh, the side comments. Natalie Smith is chiming in with a bunch of good stuff on, oh my goodness, can I even get through it all? She says, don't overlook the progressive Marxist ideology that has been at work in the U.S. for 100 years. Yep, but specifically since the Cold War, Khrushchev talked about bringing America down from within. Absolutely. Rules for radicals and whatnot. It's there to be read. Uh, just because the USSR is dead doesn't mean those who follow the ideology are not working toward that goal. I'm not sure that Putin isn't working toward that goal. Uh, he just is going to be like the Kim Jong-un of Russia, right? He's more competent. Um, huh? So uh, look no farther than Chazin and Tifa, 1930s Communist Party, to see it today. Yeah, right, exactly. And so she says, again, uh, our focus should be on sons of Adam or sons of Noah. I like that. Showing biblical references to mankind. Love it. Uh, sons of man. That's it. All sons of men. Oh, that's good. From a lady, no less. Takes a lady to call us out. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that something? Guys, come on. Uh, biblical reference to all mankind created by God related, especially Noah and the sons who created the world after the flood. Sons of Noah. I love it. Sons of Noah. Jacob asks this when he says, Rip Fisk, what is your assessment of a presuppositional <laughs> too fast. A presuppositional approach to apologetics. You think it is a faithful way of providing a defense. I am told by a man I trusted when we were classmates-ish at seminary that the presuppositional 
presuppositional approach has great epistemological dangers. And so I haven't really looked into it much beyond uh, How to Answer the Fool, uh, a video that I enjoyed, but again, I guess I'm told does have that presupp presuppositional approach built in. And But to, to be the expert who gives the answer on why that might be a flawed approach, that's not me. I found What I found refreshing about How to Answer a Fool was he was just unafraid. He was just unafraid for them to hate him. He expected it to happen, and he was nice. He was like, well, I'm just going to be cool, and you can just not like that I disagree with you. I thought it was incredibly uh, impressive and uh, as faith in words because he got this, I believe, from trusting what the scriptures say. And even though we might disagree with the gentleman in it on a number of things, including presuppositional apologetics, um, Christians should aspire to such devotion and ardor uh, in their faith and their ability to speak about it and not relegate to the, that to the realm of experts and pastors and scholars who can fumble about with a bunch of newfangled big language to categorize things, but can't actually communicate it to anybody. So that it, it means something that matters. You hold on to it and don't get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, I'm not sure if that, was, if that ended where it started, uh, but uh, Baron jumps in and says, if you pray the Lord's Prayer in the small catechism, you are praying for a godly spouse, among other things, when you ask your father for daily bread, not only is it okay, you ought to do it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, Rogue One needs to be given a chance. Best Star Wars movie ever made. I have to disagree, Josh. While there was a certain spectacular droid, the moment that the droid is the only reason to watch a show tells you that the actors didn't. <laughs> uh, and it, it had potential. I'll give you that. It had a ton of potential. But uh, cheese? Cheese was my word coming out of that one. And I had enough cheese with Jar Jar. Jar Jar was like, no more cheese forever. And that's why Mandalorian's been so wonderful is it's like when did they decide it was a good idea to make game of thrones into star wars and it's not game of thrones though there's nothing like none of the sex and none of the violence of game of thrones is there but the intrigue the intrigue is pretty sick and what what's going on with the empire and i haven't watched that far right what you know the empire uh yeah you know pre uh fascinating really clever john favreau yeah kudos to you uh Score is pretty weak. Music music could be much better. Star Wars has a better legacy, but frankly, I'll trade one more John Williams reprise <laughs> with a bad movie uh, for some some mediocre TV score on Disney Plus uh, and some actual actual Star Wars universe intrigue. That's that's pretty sweet stuff. So, all right, I'm gonna head back over here to. <laughs> place where I can drag and drop some stuff for you. Uh, I mostly ignored your praise of Shapiro before, but examples like this are a little too tedious to keep it up. I know! I don't want to be a political person. <laughs> I'm so not. But at a certain point, you just can't ignore what's coming down the tube, right? You just can't ignore it. Uh, I mostly ignored your praise. Okay, uh, yeah, it is too tedious to keep up. I can't listen to memory either. It just hurts, right? Um, a single day passes, and this is what he tries to pull. Um, not Ben Shapiro. Uh, okay, no, no, maybe I'm missing something here. I want to see this. Uh, I can't see it. It's too small. Who could have predicted the insanely predictable development? NASCAR released a statement of the situation. Yeah. Uh, NASCAR must have cameras. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, now I'm not sure about your question, but I remember that event. And that's the kind of event that, again, I, I think I understood you initially. Um, if, I, if I misunderstood you, I'm sorry. Uh, but that's the kind of event that um, – makes it hard to ignore what's going on. When 
you have, and, and I think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, also it, there was a third piece of Shapiro's story a day later, in which you can see that the cord, if you're looking at the cord across a room, right, uh, in a garage that's darkly lit, it was hung in a certain way that Bubba could really, honestly, have thought it was a noose. Um, at the same time, it had been there for over a year. There were cameras there to show whether it was put up by someone in the middle of the night. And yet we did this big parade and find out from the FBI <laughs> that it's a cord. And then someone comes and declares it racist anyway because of the implication. <laughs> you know, uh, at a certain point, you just can't ignore it. It's just crazy, right? It's just being used. And the best thing I've heard, I can only say it again, Brett Weinstein talking to uh, Joe Rogan last week. And there's so many golden nuggets in there. But one of them is, hey, it's an election year. That's all you need to know, that no matter what news you get, one of the two parties is trying to use it to get elected. And that is the agenda, not truth, and not if it's fully true or if the implications are fully true. The white noise, who are you listen to? And that's why the Bible becomes more and more necessary, because you need something that isn't going to lie to you, right? And men are going to lie to you. Resist the devil. Here, G. Dean says this. Uh, so how does one resist the devil? Well, how? Didn't we just do this in the text last week? What's the next line? Firm in the faith. Well, where do you get your faith? In the scriptures, in the word of God. Okay, well, that, that's it. Is it a matter of mortifying the flesh? Yes, the word of God will mortify the flesh, but no, it's not a matter of just trying to mortify the flesh. Wherein your flesh comes into conflict with the word of God, you must submit your flesh to the word of God. And that's called mortification, dying to yourself. That doesn't mean you have to beat yourself. Uh, although, at times, I actually, I'll say it. Um, his rod and his staff, they are a comfort to me. I hit my chest with my crucifix every day. You could call that mortification of the flesh. I say it, I say those same words every time while I'm saying Psalm 23. Um, but that's not really what this is talking about. That that the hitting the brass or anything. That's symbolic. And just like the crucifix itself is really symbolic. Not, that's not Jesus. Huh? It's a it's a picture of a guy crucified like unto Jesus. Um, it represents Jesus, it's an image. Uh, so Mortifying the flesh isn't about images, and it isn't about really even the physical action. Not, not ultimately. It can get to that. It's about having your mind believe what the Word of God says. And so when I say his rod and his staff are a comfort to me, that's me reminding myself that the, the cross is not my enemy. And so when I feel the pain of God's rod and his staff, uh, I want to remember that they, they strengthen my faith. They grow the very faith that resists the devil. How do you resist the devil? Firm in the faith. Where's that in the word of God? Does that mean read your Bible? Yes, but I'm going to tell you one more thing. We haven't said it enough. We used to say it all the time in a different way in the LCMS. We just made you do it in Sunday school, but that's all gone. Long, long gone. So here's the answer. You got to memorize your Bible and start speaking it. Cast them spells, people. I'm not kidding. That's not magic. It ain't magic. But if we pretend it is, we might use it more. <laughs> you got to memorize that truth and speak it. And don't don't be one of the Bible, uh, the chapter verse people were like, well, it says and this, this, because they just stop listening when you say that. Just say what it said. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There you go. There's one. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. There's another one, right? That is how you resist the devil, is you start making those your words. Decide the Bible is not just going to be something you read. It's going to be something you say. You're not just going to say it out loud by reading it out loud. You're going to pick and choose words of power, words of great grace and truth and dogmatic statement. And memorize a couple of them and start to say them to yourself every day. First thing in the morning, if you can, it's harder than you think. And it's what got me, you know, I, I joke about the magic thing, but it's incredible 
how hard it is to get yourself to this moment in the day when you just will have a series. I mean, I've got, I've got three Psalms sort of memorized and I try to do it every day. I want a vacation. I missed two days already. Why? It's so hard. This should be the time I do it the most, right? Nope. Cause the flesh, the flesh don't want it. But every time I do it, I thank God afterwards. I do. Um, every time I finish with that Psalm 23 hard, Oh, it's an amen at the end of thrice fold. Holy amen. Even so, um, how do you resist the devil? Start memorizing some Bible, man. Get on it. Get on it. Boom, boom. Ray says this. Luther was favorable to vegetarians, claiming meat eaters are weaker. Gladiators were vegetarians. I'm not sure about your gladiators part. Um, uh, it might be true. It might not be true. It doesn't make it a good idea. I pretend. I pretend. <laughs> I prefer science myself to historical analogy. Uh, historical analogy is fun, but science is more interesting. And so when the science shows what these things like oxalates are doing to you, and what these things like hyper levels of glucose are doing to all of us. Uh, I'm just going to go with the protein and fat is like good for you because science says so. And then rejoice that God gave us protein and fat in animals after the flood so that sons of Noah, as we are, oh, you see what I did there? Sons of Noah, as we are, um, eating meat is, is from that time on evidently a God-given glory. So whatever Luther might have thought and whatever gladiators might have done. And if the Spartans you know, were homosexual in their warmongering, so what? Like, what does that mean? Why, why does random cultural analogy from history, even if they were cool in some way, make them bad in another way? You know, that's a, that's a logical fallacy, uh, which is to dismiss somebody's argument because of who they are, right? And I can't remember what it's called, ad hominem. There it is, it's an ad hominem. So simply because, you know what, if, if you knew what Hitler's favorite ice cream was, would you refuse to eat it, right? That'd be an ad hominem. Uh, and it's, it's nonsense. And a world that tries to live in it will find itself increasingly in nonsense. I wonder if that is really what's going on. We are the ad hominem age. Soundbite culture is an ad hominem culture. So um, is this the same one? I'm, oh, 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 just lost that. I might be putting the same one up here twice. Nope, not going to do that. Let's go here. Glad something, something, and another something. Comics down. Thank you. I'm so glad I found this channel. <laughs> um, I'm in my 30s now, been away from the church for a while, went through a nihilist streak, I'm sorry, uh, in my youth, uh, but scraped it together. Good. Glad I found a Lutheran pastor that speaks to his common sense. I'm glad to be one. <laughs> uh, so bless, God bless you. Need more voices like yours in times like these. Well, thank you. Uh, join, you know, be part of us. Uh, stick around, come to the show often, get in the comments, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, you can support on Patreon. That's also always a very helpful thing. Um, and uh, I know I'm missing something else. Uh, Stop the White Noise podcast, of course, all that. But stick around, right? Uh, we do need more voices and it doesn't have to be mine and it doesn't have to be yours, but there are voices among us that can be promoted like Pastor Flammy and others, right? So I'm gonna make a call again. I know it's July and everyone's on vacation. We had one person who was willing to come forward and help us out with some video editing. This is like loose cutting of footage uh, to, to clean it up a little bit um, for a second show for this channel. It'd be one that would premiere during SM Chill whenever it came out and it would be irregular, but it would involve uh, civil theology, right? Uh, from Pastor Flammy out of, out of Arizona. Um, but we need that, that interim editor. It doesn't have, you don't have to be a pro. You just need to know how to use a scissors and paper to tape things together. And then we can kind of walk you through, um, how to do some basic editing for us. And, uh, um, if you're interested in that, you need a computer that can handle some, some, uh, some information crunch and maybe two to three hours, uh, um, four to five hours a month. Um, and, uh, if you're willing to do that, we need more voices like mine as, uh, as the comics down says. Uh, almost through our list of questions here. I'm going to hit back to the comments as soon as I get done with it. I can't seem to move my cursor. There we go. The things I would change in Apple OS if I were there. Okay. 
New York, regarding living next to Hitler. New Yorker says this, uh, uh, Henry, from Henry John Temple, the third Viscount Palmerston, which I don't know what that means. Um, we have no eternal allies and we are not perpetual enemies. Huh. Our interests are eternal and perpetual and those interests is, is our duty to follow. Huh, that's interesting. Now, I don't know that I would necessarily tie that to Hitler. Was he actually talking about Hitler? That's weird. Um, what's the context of that? But uh, leaving that aside, to recognize that when it comes to human institutions, we absolutely have no eternal allies because we can't build eternal human institutions. Those are idols. That's the definition of idolatry. To try to build an institution that will last until Jesus returns, separate from the church itself, which is his, which that letter earlier did like, you know, it confused us with that in the way it talked. Um, and there is some of uh, that here among us. But again, you want to be careful how you talk about that. To build anything that we think is going to last beyond baptism and the Lord's Supper and the Holy Bible until Jesus gets back is folly and is to invite God to tear it down. We have no eternal allies. We have no eternal first articles. Uh, the first article is under wrath and to be destroyed. Thankfully, it's been bound up inside the body of Jesus and has already risen in him as well. And it's the third article. But, but, um, yeah. Nor do we have perpetual enemies. Well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend too, right? So who was Stalin in this whole conversation about Hitler? That's an interesting thing, isn't it? And how little Stalin and Lenin are uh, um, not hated <laughs> uh, for what they did. Stalin did, right? So, and, and the U.S. allied with Stalin because Hitler was worse and Japan. Have I recommended this yet? Tsunami of the East by Dan Carlin, most recent hardcore history. I cannot tell you that. Japan, what a place. Uh, I hope I get to visit someday. Ah, but before World War II, oh my. What a thing. Um, you should listen. It's worth it. Any case, no eternal allies, no eternal enemies, other than the angels and the demons, our Lord Jesus Christ and our allegiance to him, of course, the church, which is his. All right. Here's another one. Ooh, a long one. Thanks in advance. Oh, this one. I think, I think, I think, yeah. I asked on this and chill a couple weeks back if there was a good way to become a pastor without going into debt. And you said, talk to your pastor and remove to Rockford. This is a follow-up. Yeehaw. Uh, so my situation is this. I'm 23, single, living at home. I battle chronic Lyme's disease. Ouch. No doubt. Um, the short, and it's not really pain, right? But it is because it's life. It's like the whole life. Um, the short version is that my constitution score has taken a serious hit. Yeah, right. And it makes working a full-time job very difficult. My eyesight is poor. I cannot drive. Ouch. Um, I'm not attending the LCMS church because there's none in the walking distance. And I've been relying on my brother for rides to a non-denom church. I don't think he has any desire to switch churches right now. Well, as I say, I don't have an SMS pastor to talk to, so I'm seriously considering an invitation to move to Rockford. Well, good. Let's, let's keep talking about it. Um, but since I'm playing this game on hard mode, apparently, I need a living, working situation. That's the trick, isn't it? And that's everybody, right? Um, that doesn't require driving and oof, or that had access to other transportation. Is that possible in Rockford? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'd say immediately pray about it. Uh, sure, that's possible anywhere. But do I know of it off the cuff? No. Uh, so, but that doesn't mean it isn't available or that God doesn't open those doors when he needs them to open. So uh, how exactly would this not going to debt pastoral training thing work? You said SMP program would do that, but I've been doing research on that. Uh, I don't quite understand the logistics. Is it cheaper than going to seminary? It is like seminary, but online. My understanding, now I haven't looked at this for a while. My understanding is it's definitely cheaper than going to seminary, particularly because you're able to control your housing costs and your income. So if you have a job, you get to keep your job. And that's, that's, Big deal. <laughs> uh, losing your job for four years and taking out loans to do that to not work for four years and then to come out and have no income or very little income to pay off those loans. That's the normal path, right? 
And so S&P is cheaper because you don't have to do that. So even though there will still be a cost associated with the seminary, depending on the, um, the congregation and the district, there are also places where they can pay for that. Now, I'm not saying that you move to St. Paul and or move to Rockford and St. Paul can do all that for you. Um, however, it is my goal to become the congregation kind of, uh, to become the kind of congregation that can do that for people. Um, we're not there yet, but we need people who want to be there. Yeah. And we have some. Uh, uh, we got a good thing going. Don't want to ruin it either. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but how would it work? It would look like this. Uh, you would move to Rockford to find a job in Rockford and live in Rockford and join the church. And then over the course of one or two years, I'd get to know you. And I would get to know you on the basis of your participation in the church as it exists and that at your interest and as people became comfortable knowing you were part of the church, uh, inviting you into the the official, uh, we call them apprentice vicarships. I have two of these guys. They are college students who help with liturgy, uh, do a little bit of work around the church. They do get a stipend right now. Um, uh, you wouldn't necessarily get that. It, you know, all those things kind of depend on personalities and a bunch of other stuff. And whether that stipend will even be there in the future is an open question because budgets are always an open question. So, um, But you, you, you would enter into a practical service at the building uh, at least on Sunday mornings, helping me out and right? helping us out, becoming part of the church team of volunteers that's active every Sunday morning, making stuff happen. So, um, and in that, we'd be getting to know you as well. Uh, after some time where we really got to know you, uh, would this be two years, three years, four years? Uh, that conversation about SMP would become uh, more substantial. Uh, that is, okay, now we've, uh, you know, you've learned all you're going to learn from us just being here. Um, now we want to make sure you get taught what pastor could teach you, but doesn't have time to teach you. Uh, and then uh, we'd look at what SMP takes to make it happen. The end result of that is that you would be an ordained pastor in the congregation uh, years later with a call to the congregation, but it would be unfinanced. Uh, there's no way at this point that we could do that. We would be trying to help you get where you want to be. And uh, so you'll be unfinanced, uh, but you would be called and you would have work so far as you were able to, to do it. And it was my task with you to uh, to find out what that is. Yeah, but you would be an ordained clergyman uh, serving us in the way that you could. Would that lead to another call elsewhere? Again, the context is, I mean, not everyone's got Lyme disease, right? So so the context is is completely uh, juxtaposed. It's it's different for everybody. Uh, the SMP was designed in order to only have people serve where they were in the SMP program. If it had remained that way, I would have been advocating that. But it did not remain that way. It changed almost immediately and was ignored. So I have no qualms about the fact that technically this still isn't supposed to be done. Um, it's technically all the DPs, not all the DPs, plenty of DPs have done it. And so I'm not too worried about it if, because I think the thing is we need pastors pretty badly and it's happening more. They made the call about the loss of pastors and the lack of pastors and the lack of ability to pay pastors 10, 15 years ago. And we got a little bit of a swell, but not much. And that baby boomer generation is about to go like this and our pastoral number of guys that are out there that can be pastors is just about to decrease, uh, I don't know, exponentially fold in the next 10 years. And so anybody who cares about our church body is going to be wanting faithful men who care about serving, serving if they can. And so my my hope is that our congregation can become one where we can say, well, we got a few over here. Let's Let's figure out how to make them serve. Here's what they can do. And it doesn't always mean go be the cookie cutter LCMS pastor that goes off somewhere and does exactly this forever because exactly this isn't there. <laughs> we all get it. We are, we're all arriving and it's what happened, right? So um, so that's kind of the plan and that could be applied to anybody. But it, it's not like I'm just going to stamp you. I mean, you're moving here to join my congregation and you're eventually going to be a pastor in this congregation should the congregation decide with me and I be here with you. Know, I mean, I, who knows? That's a long conversation. You could be a pastor there. 
and, and you would be called to that congregation. So that's not a light thing. This is super serious. Um, some of my elders know about these ideas. They know about the idea of uh, wanting St. Paul to be a haven congregation, a place where people would move to because they know they have a church there. Uh, my buying land in Rockford and planning to be there uh, until retirement, if possible. I mean, I, I suppose I could be called away. I don't know what would do it. Um, but the goal there is, again, because I see the writing on the wall for the the availability of congregations to um, to go to in America. It's been shrinking for a while. My time in Philly was very clear that it was shrinking, and that's now moving to the Midwest. It will continue to do so. So I would love Rockford to be a place where people rally, where they can come. It's, it's cheap to live there, but it's fairly – you can get good land in the county, Winnebago County. It's Illinois, which has got its problems, but at the same time, it's a very conservative area in Illinois. A, a congregation that can rally our faith, support our lives, our family structures, and then send men out into the world ordained if they arise among us. And if you move here and then you want to go, I don't know why we wouldn't have that conversation with you. And all I want to say is we're, I'm welcome to that as a pastor. I think we need this. And maybe, maybe, you know, you go to seminary at the end of this whole thing and you don't do S&P because that's the path. But um, it is my agenda, my personal pastoral agenda to form new pastors. You know, we saw it in that, you know, what was the, um, the again, the letter about the, uh, all the racial justice in the LCMS saying, you know, we got to make new black pastors. Yeah, that's my agenda. I want, I want, I want new pastors of, of every skin color. I really don't care. I'm more concerned about language skills, honestly. I want pastors who speak Spanish. I want pastors who speak Portuguese. I want pastors who speak blue collar. Um, so that's an open reality. And, and this is the case, though. I mean, here's the thing. You can do this where you are. If you, Jonathan doesn't have, Jonathan doesn't have a pastor where he is. Where's your pastor where you are? Don't move to be with me. If you got a good pastor where you are, you do it where you are. We need it there too. The tool is here for us to use, to equip our, our laymen who could be more than laymen, who could serve as, as confessors and preachers, um, but who don't have to be called to full-time occupations for it. Um, now's the time. Now's the time for the layman. You know, um, if you know what that means, good. And if you don't, well, you need that to understand my theology on this a little bit. Um, uh, and that's, oh, did I did I finish all? I think there's a little more here from Jonathan. Uh, with all that said, I'm also considering going to Austin. That's a great place. They probably have more assets to help you, honestly, in terms of getting things paid for and everything and a bigger network. So absolutely, Austin, St. Paul Austin is set up to help. I would talk to Pastor Wolfman about your intentions before you do it. Um, yeah, makes sense. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Uh, Austin might be better for my situation. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. Uh, larger city. Uh, I'll just have you know that that Pastor Wolfmuller has had to drive through protests in his car on his way to his church, and I have not. So Rockford has some other benefits uh, that Austin, even though it be Texas, it's a different Texas. So all that, yeah. Uh, Hotbed for game studios, yeah, yeah, absolutely for your skills, absolutely. Um, although uh, I will say, I mean, if you can if you can get an online coding job, which I know anybody who can code or takes like a year of coding classes can do, and will make more than I do probably. Um, Rockford is where you'd want to buy, not Austin. Austin would be way too expensive. You, your money's going to go so far in Rockford. If you can get, if you can get a, a coding job and move to Rockford, you're going to like have riverfront property that you won't believe. Uh, so uh, that there's that too. The flesh, the flesh talks, don't it? Uh, sorry for the long email. No, no, no. This, and the reason, you know, we we debated uh, in house whether I should answer this online or not. But I, I wanted to answer it online, even though it's very specific, Jonathan. And your Lyme disease is a real thing, and it may in fact be the reason you cannot be a pastor. That may come down to it because sometimes it's not about whether you're a good person. <laughs> sometimes it's just about whether you can you can still walk. Now, I'm not saying that someone who can't walk can't be a pastor. There are pastors in wheelchairs. Um, 
I have known a pastor who couldn't talk and still worked as a pastor. He typed into his iPad and had the iPad preach for him. I'll just say I'd retire at that point. I think maybe you can't do the job. And that's kind of the thing. But what's the job? And do all pastors' jobs have to be the same? And talking is pretty essential to it, generally, although writing could be essential to it too. Um, it, it, the uh, the situation is going to be determined by the context, uh, largely. And so, Jonathan, you know, continuing to fight Lyme disease is your, your number one thing. You're still young enough. You can get through this. I'll recommend Tim Ferriss just generally. Uh, he has fought it himself. And so if you haven't found his stuff on it and his path through it, um, it doesn't mean your path's going to be through it, but uh, uh, you know, a road well-trodden is one I'd rather walk on than one that is just recently t- torn down. <laughs> ah. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay, let's get... Uh, for just a moment here, back to not that. I didn't want to do that. That's so funny. Back to the comments. Uh, I'm going to go from the bottom up here for a few more moments. Then we're going to end this thing. And I'm going to go uh, start some barbecue action for the fourth. Uh, Natalie says this again. I suggest Sons and Daughters of Noah um, because it is after the flood, Sons of Noah dispersed. Now, see, the thing is, Sons of Noah, if we're going to do it, Natalie, I'm going to take out daughters. Because the fact is that adding daughters was one of the first crumbling stones in losing our language. The language sons has the capacity to carry the language daughters for anybody of goodwill who wants it to. It's strictly a matter of malice that would force us to not believe in the unification of man and woman in marriage. And that that comes out in the language of all mankind, man and sons. And so if we're going to do it, we're sons of Noah, you and me both. Uh, Not Sarah, Natalie. Um, Natalie. And she says also to Josh, of course, C.S. Lewis was a Christian converted by token. And a radio program in Britain during after the war. Mere Christianity is the book based on the radio. I didn't know that. Mere Christianity is a book by Lewis I will still recommend to this day because it is so good for the common sense scene of the design and the centrality of Jesus in history. Um, is it the final end all be all? No. If you don't have an inkling to believe he has risen and you don't care at all, like if you don't want to believe, it's not going to help you. Um, but it's a nice, you know, if you're if you're just embarking on the I need more than coloring books for my faith journey, Mere Christianity is a great place to start. Um, nothing against coloring books necessarily. Uh, so, do, do, do looking for any more like major uh, content here in the most recent, but I, I don't see them. I hear fireworks going off. There's just some poppers in the background there. Uh, so I'm gonna kick back here for half a second, stretch, and think about if there's anything I forgot to say. God bless America. When I got out of the house this morning, I went for my little drive and didn't get coffee. Um, but I do have coffee that I made here. Oh, forgot about that. Hmm. It only took me about three or four minutes to get out of town here, small town. My parents live outside of a big city, but quite a ways outside. County, for sure. And uh, uh, it only took me about three minutes to get outside of town. And as I went, I looked at all the little stores, some mom and pops. There's a, there's a, the movie store, like the rental store finally closed. It's a liquor store now, which eh, there's worse things. There's better things. Um, it's a nice liquor store. There's a new gas station going in, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's just, just America. It's flyover country. And, and everything I looked at though, with the exception of Sonic, was owned by someone who lives here, more or less, and who cares about being here. Even if it wasn't well done, even if they're poor and they're not doing a good job with it, it's what they got. And there's something about that, as opposed to the city where you're renting all the time, where you got no roots, uh, and where you don't mind tearing down your house because you think there's going to be another one. There's something not so healthy about that. Uh, when Kuntz talks about Christianity 
uh, and its history of fleeing to the mountains and calling out the cities for what they are, particularly in the prophets, particularly in Ezekiel. I think he's onto something there. It's not that we can't dwell together in harmony. It's not that if you're a Christian, you can't live in the city or work in the city. Just know that the cities are where the evil happens. Uh, if you want to live a peaceful and quiet life, it won't be there. <laughs> uh, it'll be it'll be somewhere where you can know your neighbor. And you're not going to know your neighbor if you can move away easily. Think about it. Yeah. So as I was driving to town, not my town, I have another town that's a little bigger than this one, quite a bit bigger actually. But uh, um, I, all I could think was God bless America. And then I thought, God, am I allowed to say that as a LCMS pastor? Is that is that one of those things we're not allowed to say because we're supposed to stay in our office and never talk politics, right? Um, like, can I say God bless America or do I have to hate America? Uh, and I used to balk a little bit against the God bless America thing, like why should God bless America? But I think I think I have a reason now, and and, and I feel like I was a I was the useful fool for being willing to let the media tell me to think otherwise way back when I was just a cable 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 TV sports imbibing twenty year old. Um. God has blessed America by giving us the Bill of Rights. And it was Christians who did this. Jews too. Geo-Christian ethic, sure. Muslims technically shouldn't have a problem with it if they're liberal. <laughs> uh, the idea is, is just that we're all trying not to kill each other and not to hurt each other. And we know these things make that better. So to hear people trying to take those things away, that's, that's what scares me. And that's why I say God bless America and I say it as a prayer. Not as a demand or a command, as a prayer. My Lord Jesus Christ, whom I pray to, whom I adore, would you be so kind, Kyrie eleison, as to bless these here United States and our Constitution for the sake of its Bill of Rights and the consciences of mankind everywhere who, under tyranny, have been so oppressed and continue to be so because of the sins of the sons of Noah, <laughs> but who all now, as the sons of Christ, the baptized, the resurrected, the new people, the new men, a new man, right? Uh, well, we can stand with our head held high and not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. We can care about the good of the city in which we dwell and authentically care about it for the good of our neighbor and not just for ourselves. We are free to, what? Stand upon the ruins and not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. It is Independence Day. It's a full moon tonight. I'm gonna light up fireworks and I'm gonna watch Twitter I'm going to pray. I'm going to hope. I'm going to trust that the rod and the staff, they are a comfort to me. I don't believe that God isn't done blessing America just yet. I don't know what that means, but I believe it's true. The law and the luck, my friends. Talk on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>